Welcome to the Cardboard Herald Reviews, where we give you audio versions of our game reviews and then go behind the scenes of our creative process. been listening to TCBH reviews for a while we're doing things just a little bit differently this episode because I have Luke Minch from Budget Board Gamer on today's episode he wrote this review and he is going to be the one reading it he and I are going to talk about it on the outro so it's kind of like the same thing that you're used to except someone totally different to listen to so enjoy this review of Champions of Midgard by Luke Minch of Budget Board Gamer Champions of Midgard, trolling for wood with killer dice. Luck is a rather polarizing aspect of board gaming as a hobby. Too much of it and there's no strategy to the game. Players relying on drawing the best cards or rolling dice well, making it feel unfair. Too little and the game becomes a giant math problem that has one path of least resistance, making all players follow the same strategies, resulting in a boring and tedious experience. All good games, in my opinion, should have some luck injected into them to allow for interesting and exciting moments. But at what point is it too much? One of the first modern board games I played was Stone Age, a game that focuses on gathering resources to allow your tribe to rise to prominence over time. The problem? Every time you collected resources, you would need to roll dice to see just how much of the important thing you would get. This quickly left a sour taste in my mouth as more often than not I found myself only getting one or two pieces of wood when I desperately needed four to accomplish one of the goals on the board. Yes, there are ways to mitigate this, such as obtaining tools that alter odds in your favor, or spending more workers on an action to roll more dice, but the game still required you to roll to see how well you were doing. And yet, one of my favorite games to date, and one of those games I have fellow players ask me to bring to game nights week after week, is Champions of Midgard, a game that once again involves rolling dice at crucial moments to see if you get the resources you need to succeed. So what does this Norse-inspired dice-rolling rampage do that makes it so much more rewarding that it surpasses what made me grow to resent Stone Age? In Champions of Midgard, players are rival chieftains trying to prove themselves the most glorious. Whoever obtains the most glory, aka victory points, by the end of eight rounds wins. Players will primarily do this by violently slaughtering the great and mighty beasts found in Norse lore, from trolls to Draugr to the cubs of Fenrir. Each of these creatures provide not just points, but resources and other benefits that allow you to progress on your future ventures that much more easily. The process of actually fighting these monsters, however, can be daunting and difficult, and like any euro worth its snuff, it forces players to live off of next to nothing in hopes of squeaking by with just enough glory to outshine their neighbors. Resources are tight, but with some clever planning and by thinking three turns ahead, you'll watch as a variety of unique plans collide, often derailing one another in hilarious ways. At first glance, Champs may be seen as a rehash of every other worker placement game out there, an unhealthy stigma that I admit I suffered from prior to trying it for myself. Each round, 
players take turns placing one worker at a time on different spots, allowing them to gain the benefits of that spot while preventing others from doing the same for the rest of the round. Many of the spots will allow you to gather important resources like food, wood, a variety of useful other tokens, cards, and effects, and most importantly, warriors. Warriors and how they fight are what makes this game stand out from the rest. Rather than having players turn in their collected resources for a predefined set of points, players may place a worker in front of land-based monsters to claim them as combatants in the second phase of each round. Similarly, players may claim boats and particular locations at the seaside in preparation to set sail to the stronger and more profitable monsters that await on the other side. Then, after all workers are placed and resources are collected, players may dedicate a certain number of dice to each battle. Determining how many or how few warriors should be sent into a given fight can be one of the most stressful yet rewarding decisions in the game. I've spent turns charging into three different battles, spreading my forces unadvisedly thin in hopes of squeaking out an extra 5 or 10 points that round. What further incentivizes players to diversify their warriors is that some monsters cannot be attacked by specific types of dice, meaning you'll need to change your strategies now and again in order to have enough opportunities to earn points. Players can choose to send no warriors at all, claiming the space to skunk other players out of that battle, or they can send up to the maximum of 8 warriors, stacking their chances for success. However, when setting off to sea, where most of the larger valued bounties await, boats have a finite weight they can carry, limiting how many tokens can be on board. Furthermore, warriors need to be fed if they're going to make it to their battle, meaning some of these slots will be taken up by food. And let's not forget that, before any warriors have eaten, a hidden sea card is revealed, potentially dooming some of the passengers. So overstocking in order to be safe, or using one of your precious workers to check the hidden card beforehand, might be prudent, but costly. Even then, once you get to the fight, you need to roll well enough to take down your target, or have enough reroll tokens to allow the fight to swing in your favor. One-time use effects can also be bought, providing a handful of glory as well as instant abilities that can save you when at the fate of the dice. Each of the different types of dice represent a different kind of warrior, each with their own strengths and weaknesses. Swordsmen are the easiest to obtain, sure, but with three blank sides there's a good chance they could miss altogether. Still, they can strike once or twice in a single roll or block one damage with their shield. Spearmen have one less blank, replaced by another single hit, and axemen throw away their shield for another double hit, making them powerful but vulnerable. That's because for each damage that the monster does to you, even with their dying breath, you must discard one of the dice you brought on that venture, sending the warriors to Valhalla. Or back to the dice pool, take your pick. In other words, every fight is carefully planned for and considered, yet the battles maintain an exciting and invigorating tone, sending a rush of adrenaline through your body when your last spearman delivers the killing blow, netting you 12 points and some useful reroll tokens for your trouble. You're constantly keeping an eye on your opponents to see what they're up to, doing your best to stymie them at every turn, because if you don't, they will defeat you. Not paying attention to who fights the troll each turn? Well, that could mean you taking negative points due to the townsfolk blaming you for not dealing with it yourself. Deciding to let your friend get the resources they need so you can aim for another one-time use ability? 
Well, now they have a private boat that gets them points and means they don't have to fight over the public longships to head out to sea. Didn't take the first player token? Now the next person did, meaning you're going last next round. Every decision is meaningful. Last match I played of this, a four-player battle royale. I had a friend who was taking up the rear for a fair amount of the game, only to go on two overseas expeditions at the end of the seventh round, earning him roughly 30 points and ultimately the game. Everyone is always a contender as long as you're fighting for it, and this game is far from being just about luck of the roll. Much like Roleplayer, Champions of Midgard lets you manipulate and utilize your luck in hopes of getting what you need. Now this review may be coming across as a bit one-sided, but Champions of Midgard is by no means a perfect game, and has some flaws that are worth mentioning. Firstly, the game does obviously have some luck to it. Get unlucky enough and it can be hard to come back from that. This is rare, but certainly a possibility. Secondly, some of the tokens, particularly the food and wood cubes, feel pretty underwhelming compared to the chunky and detailed dice. Frankly, none of the components are particularly good, and the insert feels especially cheap if functional. I've since replaced my food and wood tokens with those from Imperial Settlers, a game I didn't find myself playing nearly as often. Third, the leaders each player starts with feel unbalanced, with some of their powers feeling much more powerful and flexible than others. One of the leaders, Gilfer the Seaworthy, allows a player to take the resources from the trader's spot on the board for free each round. While this may be useful, other players can block this spot easily, making the ability overall pretty situational. Some players might be disheartened to see the score progress over the course of the game. A few matches I've played, it became painfully obvious to those paying attention that one player had such a significant lead that very little could be done to stop them. Trolls can give Trolls can give players negative points, but this rarely factors into any significant losses for any player, with most players ending the game with 0, 1, or 2 blame tokens. Lastly, make sure that you have a table large enough to handle the gigantic board and numerous tokens featured. This game quickly takes up a ton of space, and those unprepared may find it difficult to find the space to sit everyone comfortably. With all that being said, Champions of Midgard is one of my favorite games to date, as everyone sweats over every dice roll, whether it be yours or someone else's, as each player curses you out for taking the precious spot they needed, and as the players quietly stare at the board wondering what they need to give up that turn if only to get a few more points of glory, it becomes clear why this is one of the best Euro games I've played in some time. Champions of Midgard allows you to prepare as much as you want, knowing what resources you're gathering. You just never know if it'll be enough to survive the nasty creatures you challenge, presenting a level of pressure luck that I find endearing and invigorating. It leaves you with more varied and intense avenues of getting points, the theme helping to make your actions feel epic. So while it may only hold the 183rd spot on the Board Game Geek ranked chart, I'll take the satisfyingly smart and tight competition of Champions of Midgard over almost any game found in the top 100 any day. Well, you are 
on the Cardboard Herald's reviews. This is your what? first review. Yeah, I know, man. This <laughs> is the first guest spot on the TCBH review channel here. Though you I didn't even realize I was the first one. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, the, there's other people have written reviews, but this is the first time that you've, uh, or anyone, has been on the actual podcast uh, portion of our review site thingy. So... This so is, what you're trying to say is I'm kind of a big deal. You're the that's, biggest That's what deal. I'm gathering. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And <laughs> we're talking about a big deal of a game. This was the first review that you put on the Cardboard Herald. This is like the, the proto-review from Luke Minch, the budget board gamer. So we're talking about... You got my last name right. Go figure. That's very rare. Exactly. You know, I, I do my research and I guess I've been talking to you over the internet for like nearly, I don't know, a few months. Six months? Four. It Four would have months. been August. So... Perfect. Four, five? Yeah. Yeah. Better at I'm pronunciation, good. not as good at calendars. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fair enough. Touche. This is Champions of Midgard. This was the first review that you put on the site. So tell me about why you picked this game as like the first game that you were going to uh, put as a review on the Cardboard Herald. Well, Champions of Midgard is by far the most popular board game that I own within my game group. It's one of those games that uh, people who... I have two different game groups, one on Tuesdays and one on Fridays, but the Friday game group in particular requests it almost on a weekly basis, um, which nowadays it's a lot harder to pull out simply because all of the expansions extend the, the time of the game and the amount of complexity to the game, in my opinion, exponentially. But for a long time, Champions of Midgard was by far the favorite, and if you ask most people within that game group, that's the one that they are drawn to and I can't say I can blame them. It's one of my personal favorite games, and it's probably my favorite worker placement game by far because of what it does differently from most worker placement games, in my opinion. What does it do so differently? I mean, you, you touch on some of the things in the review, but if you could distill it down to, like, one element that makes it stand far and above all other worker placement, what is it? Absolutely. So... Worker placement, uh, more often than not, is either a very it, – it, it either feels like a very mathematical one-way-to-win kind of game or it feels like – in the case of Stone Age, it feels very luck-oriented at times, at least for me personally. Um, and I, I use that as a comparison because Stone Age and Champions of Mid Midgard both have dice – but it feels like it's a lot easier in Champions of Midgard to mitigate that luck. And I think that's one of my favorite aspects of uh, that, that one can find in a board game. It's when there's chance present in the game that you can sort of modify or work around or try and take luck and change it in your favor. Games like um, Castles of Burgundy or Roleplayer are both games that involve dice rolling that you modify the dice in that way and champions of midgard was my first taste of that and due to that there's always a tension uh within that game and it's an excitement of are they going to pull it off you see a player uh try to take on three different monsters in a single round and part of you is like 
there's no way. There's no way that they can do it. But the other part of you is almost rooting for them to see them pull off this bombastic, absurdist, you know, level thing. <laughs> we got a little background there. That's all good. Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's fine. It's flavor. <laughs> adds adds to the aroma yeah, of the narrative. It, it's like people are really here hanging out with us right now, even though we're in two separate corners of the country. The the magic of the internet and of you know technology as a whole, the fact that we can do this at all is crazy to me. Hey, Paul Simon said it best like 25 years ago. We're in a time of miracle and wonder. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I don't know if I really answered your question, but I think I did. I think I kind of... No, no, no. I, I totally get it. And I, I didn't think about it in terms of that kind of crescendo as you... Uh, build up your units and then go towards your inevitable doom or victory it, it there's an excitement to it because in a lot of games you have a definitive i am going to succeed because i've gotten the numbers down especially in euros or worker placements but in this one uh there's still always the chance the the chance at at losing and there's also the the chance that against all hope the underdog is going to see victory but you still are mitigating that luck that that's totally true and i hadn't thought of it in those terms now I, i'm wondering when you're talking about mitigating the luck what about the expansions you said they they increase a lot of the um i guess complexity of the game but to me, Valhalla really brought the ultimate way to mitigate luck. How does that feel to you? Oh my gosh, dude. I'm glad you asked. Um, both of the expansions, in my opinion, make the game so much better. It brings it from like, oh, it, 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 it ups the ante in such a huge way that's so exciting. The biggest issue that I had with the base game that a lot of people mentioned is if you're not killing a monster every round, you basically lose. And you have to go fight the monsters across the sea or else you basically lose. In the case of Valhalla and uh, the mountains or whatever the heck the other one's called. Dark mountains. The dark mountains, yes. In, in the case of that, that changes the game so exponentially because the dark mountains allow you to take out bigger monsters without having to risk going across the sea and instead uh, relying a lot more on money, uh, currency, and working around coins. And the obviously Valhalla, as you mentioned, with the mechanic of when you lose a figure, that figure becomes a currency. Their soul in Valhalla is able to be spent on buffs and to defeat these big monsters. And when you're going for those big monsters, when you're really pushing for them, you see people competing to try to take out, you know, uh, Fenrir himself or like Jormunder or these really like bombastic villains from Norse lore that is just it's rewarding from a gameplay perspective to to think you know I'm raising an army even after it's dead to continue to march forward and fight on from a thematic perspective that's super rewarding and it makes a lot of sense but from a gameplay perspective it leads to a certain level of strategy that results in plays where you roll a shield and you choose to ignore the shield and allow someone to die so you get that currency that you can then use after the fight. Like, that's crazy to think about, like, intentionally sacrificing your warriors for a strategic play in that same turn. It's it's awesome. 
I shall die in battle so I can live in Valhalla for <laughs> Odin, for Thor. Oh, man. I, I mean, glory and death is like the Norse motto. Yeah, totally. And, you know, there, there's all this this great Norse mythology to pull from. But personally, I'm just a big Marvel Comics guy. And Walter oh, yeah. Simonson's Thor is like the definitive Thor. And so much of that is tied into this, like, epic glory and death. Uh, going and living on in Valhalla to fight alongside all of the the various Asgardians. Oh, man, I love that stuff. But oh yeah, uh, this is the first review that you submitted to me. So I, I'm really curious because we didn't grow up together. We we met over the internet. Uh, right. It's one thing to be critiqued by someone who you uh, <laughs> are, are ver very well accustomed to being critiqued by or ribbed by or or learning to work with. But what was it like to uh, have me pour over uh, your review and uh, give you suggestions on a Google Doc or say like, eh, this didn't quite work or I'm not seeing what you're getting here. What was it like from your perspective? Honestly? It was a breath of fresh air. For me, I went to Moravian College uh, for my English major, and I often felt like I wasn't getting the feedback I needed from any of my teachers or my classmates. It felt like a lot of people didn't really put their everything into editing ever. And there was one piece in particular that I remember editing for one of my uh, co-students. I don't know. <laughs> one of my fellow students Peers. at the time. Yes, Pierce. And, I, well, I hesitate to use that term. Oh, okay, um, okay. Subject she matter. She was very nice. She was, a, she was a cool person, but we did not get along at all. Gotcha. Um, and honestly, like, at the time, I did some heavy editing on the work to the point where I was like, you might want to consider starting over because that might be a better starting place for you to present your ideas with new framework and with a new overall structure to what you're trying to explain mm -hmm. and the teacher took that incredibly poorly um they thought that giving such thorough feedback was a negative because it was taking too much away from what she was saying and that wasn't my intention and that wasn't the case but from then forward it felt like i was kind of earmarked by that teacher in that regard as someone who took editing to such an extent. And so when I saw a lot of those edits, when I started to experience that, I thought finally someone who gets it, someone who can really dig into it, see the ideas that I'm creating, but then say, hey, this structure, this format, this tone is not working. We need to shift in a different direction so that it reads better. And I'm all about that. It, you're one of the few people who I respect in that regard because of how thorough and thoughtful you are about what's being said. Oh, well, that's just so sweet. Well, you, I'm just you, being honest. Hey, dude, like... totally, man. Well, you did an awesome job on this review and clearly I liked it enough that I kept on having you come back onto this site and given awesome opinions, even if they're wrong opinions on certain board games, which we'll get to, I'm sure in future episodes of TCBH review. So, 
Thank you so much, Luke, for coming on and talking about your review of Champions of Midgard. Luke Minch can be found on YouTube on his channel, Budget Board Gamer, and also you can always find any of Luke or I's reviews for The Cardboard Herald on www.cardboardherald.com. Thank you so much, Luke. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. As always, the Cardboard Herald is a completely free service focused on spotlighting games, gamers, and game creators. You can find all of our podcasts, including the Cardboard Herald and TCBH reviews, on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website. For more recommendations and reviews, you can also head over to our YouTube channel. We do not pay to advertise the show, so please continue spreading the word, following, liking, rating, and doing all the social media things. It truly does help us out a ton. If you'd like to drop us a line and maybe have your listener mail read on air, find us on Twitter, at Cardboard Herald, or send us an email to CardboardHerald at gmail.com, or click the contact link on our page. Once again, thank you for listening. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald, and you keep on gaming.